Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. I just spent a week at Johnson Bible College, which is where I went to school. It's in Knoxville, Tennessee, and, and I had a great time. I saw people I haven't seen in, in well over 10, 15 years. Um, got to spend a week with my roommate. I hadn't seen him in over 15 years, and we hung out together. That was very cool. He's a Ph.D., um, I felt like a flyweight around him, so I learned a lot, asked a lot of questions, listened a lot, um, got to see my pastor, got to see my old youth pastor, um, uh, one of the main speakers at the, this is a, the, the Johnson Bible College homecoming and preaching rally, check your pulse, because I think it just went up right there when I said <laughs> preaching rally, <clears throat> but for preachers, that's, we get into that kind of thing, and so the keynote speaker was a, a, a good friend of mine, a guy that I went to school with, and it was great to hear him, and I got to hear another guy that speak that, that uh, I went to school with, so um, times were good. Got to see a lot of people that I, I hadn't seen in a long time, and it just has me thinking this morning as I've seen those, some of those people. Just We just took communion, and this morning my heart is really um, just kind of thinking about what that means. I mean, we just... We just took communion, and in another church in Terre Haute today, there are another group of believers that have gathered that we, you know, we're not against them, we're, <clears throat> we're with them, we're for them. And we took communion together today. <clears throat> Jeff Vines in California will take communion with his church later on this morning. Around the world today, in Africa, Thailand, people that we support, missionaries like Rick Walden, they'll take communion with their congregations and with their people today, and... Um, my mom in Florida will take communion today. It's just, it's, this, this is something that binds us together, this belief in Jesus, this idea that we have been forgiven for our sin, that we can come to the throne of grace so boldly to, to thank God for his provision and for his forgiveness, to thank God for his grace and mercy. And um, it, it knits us together in a very beautiful and sacred way. And I just, that kind of has overwhelmed me this morning as I've taken communion. So, I'm, uh, I, I've, I come to you having spent a great week. Um, it was beautiful in Knoxville. I don't know what it was like here, but it was gorgeous. And I got a text picture from my wife. You guys got snow this week. Two-hour delay? There wasn't none of that going on in Knoxville, let me tell you. I don't want to rub it in, but it wasn't going on in Knoxville. Um, the second thing I want to tell you is that we wrap up a series today, and next week we jump into a whole new, it, it is on for us next week, okay? Do not miss in the month of March, if you can help it, um, starting next week, really important uh, week next week, we're going to begin to tell you about our building plans, we're going to work through in the, week, in the month of, uh, of March, um, just kind of let you see where we're going and let you see how you can participate and we're really really excited about it there's been a lot of groundwork laid and we're going to roll a bunch of that out for you next week so we, you don't want to miss it you don't want to miss anything in March and then as March comes to an end we're, we're going to kind of build to this big crescendo and I, I believe that God is going to do two things I think he's going to do some huge things in this church uh, both through what's about to happen in the very near future and long term but I really believe that what's about to happen in your personal life as you begin to think through commitment and as you begin to think through what's, you know, what your part is in it all, I think that God is about to take you on a journey. 
And um, I, I'm really excited about what's going to happen with our church, both corporately and personally and individually. So we're looking forward to that next week. Don't, don't miss it. Don't miss it. You, you, you don't want to do that. Today we wrap up our series on worry called Get Out of Fret. And we worry because we cannot control the future. Isn't that really the problem? That's what knits us all together. That's our problem. You're worried about stuff that's going to happen tomorrow. You've got no control over what's going to happen tomorrow. And usually we're okay in the right now. Like you're not too messed up right now. You, you, you've got now figured out. It's the next series of nows that are a problem for you. That's the part you're trying to, uh, you know, figure out and, and make some sense of. And Jesus comes along and he says something that we would never say because I, I would feel weird saying this quite honestly. But Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. You just take care of today. In other words... Do what you can today. Leave tomorrow alone. Um, your Heavenly Father is going to take care of that. And then he just comes right out and says it. The last two weeks we've read this passage where Jesus just comes right out and says, Don't worry. And it doesn't get any clearer than that. And you hear that, and you hear me say that, and you think, Well, you know, what I hear when you say don't worry is don't care. Big difference between don't care and don't worry. Um, I'm not telling you to not uh, you know, be proactive. I'm not telling you to, to be irresponsible. I'm not telling you to just, you know, uh, just, uh, isn't it, wasn't it Hakuna Matata? Isn't that what they said in The Lion King? Just kind of like, you know, just kind of roll with it. You know, Hakuna Matata. My kids say that once in a while. And I'm like, dude, this is not a moment to be saying Hakuna Matata to me. Hakuna Matata, Dad. Jesus wasn't saying don't be irresponsible. And he wasn't saying, you know, these aren't things that are, that are, are you know, these are things that are not important. In fact, what we've seen over the past two weeks is he said, the things that you focus on are so important that your heavenly father is going to take care of those things for you. They've already merited his attention. He, he's already, you know, figured out how he's going to line the, the events out in your life and in the lives of the people around you. And in the last week, as we wrapped up, we said, I, I want you to shift your devotion to something else because Jesus said you know you're gonna worry about that which you are devoted to so whatever you're worried about if you're worried about things we gotta shift your devotion to something else because throughout his teachings he taught that there are just things that our emotions get wrapped up around and those are the things we become most devoted to now I said this last week one way I'll say it this week another way last week I used me on you I'll use you on me you didn't go to bed last night worried about my kids grades did you that pretty much wasn't what let, you didn't lay awake last night going man I hope Brett's kids make good grades this week in school that wasn't your concern now it might be important to you I mean if you love me and you love my family you think sure I want Brett's kids to do good in school but that's not the thing keeping you awake at night you're not worried about my kids grades and Jesus comes along and he says you worry about the things you are most devoted to hey what if we shifted your devotion to something else what would happen to your worry now, the temptation for those of you who are big worriers and for those of you who, who don't generally worry, but because of things going on at work or something at school or maybe, maybe you know, grades or you can't sell your house or, you know, you watch the news and, you know, Egypt's a mess, Libya's a mess, Wisconsin's a mess, you know, you look all over the place and it's just like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Our economy's, you know, kind of strange and... You may find yourself becoming more and more of a worrier, and, and your pushback might be, Brett, when you tell me not to worry, that just seems too simplistic to me. 
and too passive. And Brett, I need to worry because when I worry, I worry. (laughs) And it makes me feel good. And I feel like I'm doing something. And I feel proactive. And I feel, you know, my mind stays busy. And I know I can't control anything. And then I get distracted on things that I should, away from things that I should be thinking about. My wife's talking to me, and I don't really hear her. And all the wives just went like that. Or I'm at work, and I'm thinking about things at home. Or I'm at home, and I'm thinking about things at work. And my mind just gets distracted, and I'm thinking about all this stuff that's coming up, and I'm not focused where I need to be focused. And pretty much, I am consumed by tomorrow. What's going to happen tomorrow? Even though I know I can't do anything about it. So it's just better for me to worry, because then I worry. And we hear that, and we think, in the immortal words of the guy in, in, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That don't make no sense. That just doesn't make any sense. But yet, that's how we feel. And Jesus looks at us, and he says, Stop. And we say, But I'm a responsible adult. I can't just lay back. Somebody has to worry about these things. And Jesus says, no, you do what you can today. You be as proactive as you can today. You you work hard today. You don't have any control over what happens tomorrow. Your Heavenly Father is going to take care of tomorrow. You know, you, you, you don't not worry because you know what's going to happen tomorrow, but When have you ever known what was going to happen tomorrow? When have you ever been able to say with great certainty, I've got tomorrow figured out? You might think you do. How many times have you laid great plans for tomorrow only to wake up and it snowed on you? Only to wake up and, you know, there's three inches of rain outside. What in the world? Our best laid plans sometimes just kind of fall by the wayside because we had a plan, but then we woke up and there was a different plan. Ours didn't come to fruition not one single day of your life have you ever been able to control tomorrow and jesus says nothing's really changed you just become more aware of the reality that from the day you were born that you can't really control anything that's going to happen to you tomorrow or in the next series of nows you're just going to trust somebody else for tomorrow today we're going to wrap up this series with a, a story from the old testament first kings chapter 19. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to 1 Kings. And I, I, it's going to take me a while to get there, so you've got a little time to look it up. But um, I'm going to tell you a story today. This is a great story, but I'm not going to tell you all the story. And it would be my hope that when I'm done today, you would go home and you would finish the story, that you would read the rest of it. I'm going to leave you hanging a little bit. 1 Kings is about a guy that has lots of reasons to worry. And, and toward the end of the story, 1 Kings 19, God asks this guy a question, and it's a phenomenal question. In fact, if you're a worrier, my hope is that you will take the question I'm going to give you today, you will go home, take out a three-by-five card, write this question out on the card, and put it somewhere where you can see it. Because this is a question that you need to hear God asking you, and this is a question you need to really ask yourself because it recenters us as it relates to what we're focused on and what we're worried about. Let me bring you up to speed for the story. When the nation of Israel became a kingdom, the first king was a guy named Saul, King Saul. 
The second guy was a guy we know very well, King David. The third king was his son, King Solomon. And then the kingdom split. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. And the kingdom to the north was known as Israel. The kingdom to the south was known as Judah. And so this particular story takes place in about 860 B.C. The kingdom has already split, and the king of the northern kingdom is a king that you have heard of before, and his name is Ahab, King Ahab. And Ahab is a wicked king. He has uh, allowed the people of Israel to be led off to worship the God of Baal. And so God does for Ahab what God does for me and you from time to time. Ahab has turned his back on God. He's, he's not led well. He's led the people astray. They're into Baal worship and idol worship. And God sends a voice, a person, a message to Ahab. Now, God's done this for you and me. We, we, sometimes someone comes into our life with a message from God for us, you know, to say, hey, I just wanted to show you life from my perspective, your life from my perspective, and maybe this will help you. Maybe when you were a teenager, somebody came along and said, let me give you some advice. And you didn't think that was very good advice, or you thought to yourself, you know, you don't know me. You ever tried to say something to a teenager, and they give you that, you don't know me. You don't know what's going on in my world. How in the world can you have any clue what I'm up against? Because we were never teenagers, were we? We just went from the womb to 40, didn't we? We just... Maybe recently a friend has set you down and said, hey, can I just kind of speak into your life a little bit and talk to you about what I see? Never once in a while the voice of reason comes into our lives and we hear that voice, what do we do? Sometimes we ignore it. So God sent Elijah the prophet into Ahab's life and Elijah said, Ahab, God is sick and tired of the way you're leading the people. And so God is going to get your attention and it's not going to rain anymore. God's going to wreck the economy of the kingdom of King Ahab. And so Elijah tells Ahab this, and he leaves, and Ahab ignores it, thinking, who, who can turn off the rain? I mean, nobody can do that. You can't turn, it, turn off the rain and turn the rain back on. So a month goes by, two months goes by, three months goes by, it's not raining. Meanwhile, God says to Elijah, you know, it would be a good idea for you to hide about right now because these people all think that you can turn the rain off and on and hadn't rained in quite a while. They're probably going to be looking for you pretty soon. be a good idea for you to hide. So Elijah runs from Ahab, and God takes care of Elijah. Now, we did a series on Elijah in November of 2009, and I don't know if you know this or not. Maybe you do. But if you go to our webpage, almost every sermon that we've done in the last seven years is on our webpage. And if you want to go back and find out more about this whole story, we did a whole series on it called Elijah. It, was, it happened in 2009 in November. You can look it up and listen to it. God takes care of Elijah. Now, he's not living high on the hog. He's kind of camping out, and he's not camping out the way you camp out, okay? I've seen the way you camp out. I know how you camp out. It's camping out in the vaguest of terms for some of you, right? I mean, you're barely roughing it. My idea of roughing it's no refrigerator in the room at the Holiday Inn. That's my idea of roughing it, okay? But God provides for Elijah 
while the rest of the country is in turmoil. There's all this stuff going on, and, and, and yet God takes care and meets the needs of Elijah. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's no rain, there's no crops, the cattle are falling over, they're dying. I mean, nothing's going good in the city. Things are bad. And years go by, three years go by, and God says to Elijah, you need to go talk to Ahab again. Now put yourself in Ahab's shoes, or in, in Elijah's shoes. And you're going to look at God and you're going to say, God, he's looking for me and things are not going to be good if I go back to talk to King Ahab. He's, he's laying in wait for me. So he finds Ahab. God says, I want you to go. I want you to go. So he does. He goes, he finds Ahab, which is a surprise to Ahab because Ahab was kind of looking for Elijah. And three years have gone by. The economy's a wreck. And Elijah says, God is ready to teach the nation of Israel a lesson if you're ready to learn it. He's ready to let it rain again. But we have to have a meeting. And Ahab agrees and says, okay, you know, what do we got to do? Because I just want to get the rain turned back on. It's all I care about. Just can we have some rain? And Elijah says, I want you to meet me on Mount Carmel. And they all knew where Mount Carmel was. This is a big deal. He says, I want you to bring your prophets of Baal and these people that you think are connected to a God that I don't even believe exists. You bring them to Mount Carmel, we're going to have a prayer meeting. And you and your prophets are going to pray to Baal, and I'm going to pray to my God, uh, Yahweh, the God of our fathers, and we'll see which of these gods is able to bring rain. That seems weird to us, but they needed rain. And so Ahab said, fine, we'll, we'll do that. And so the Bible tells us that they met on the top of Mount Carmel, up on this mountain, over 400 prophets of Baal show up. Thousands of people from the surrounding cities hear, this, hear about this contest. And so the prophets of Baal get there, and Elijah says, I tell you what, I'm going to have to go over here and build an altar that's kind of run down. I'm going to have to repair this one. While I'm doing that, you guys build your altar, and you guys start making your sacrifices, do your praying to whatever it is out there that you pray to. And I'm going to go over here and rebuild this, this altar. And then you call on your God, and I'll call on my God, and we'll see what happens. And so while Elijah is working on repairing this altar, the prophets of Baal are over here, and they're doing their thing. And they're uh, sacrificing animals, and they're dancing around, and they're cutting themselves, and they're calling out and shouting. And this goes from breakfast on through lunch on into the afternoon. And meanwhile, Elijah's building his altar. And then he makes some some very politically incorrect uh, comments and statements, he begins to make fun of their God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to have God made fun of. I don't like to have my God made fun of. Is there anybody else in the room that gets a little offended when you pull up behind a car and they've taken the ichthus fish and put feet on it and written Darwin on the inside? Now, I know that's just a little piece of plastic, and I know that the person in the car is just not enlightened, and, and they're, they're in ignorance. I know that, but it ticks me off. And I really want to punch them in the throat in the name of Jesus is what I really want to do. I, I don't like it when people do things. Or I pull up behind somebody, and they've got this cute little bumper sticker that you know kind of pokes fun at me because I'm a Christian and thinks that you know says something about me being not real smart or something derogatory statement about faith and you know I just want to grab him by the throat and say I'll show you faith you know and that, that again that, that doesn't work that doesn't work 
Well, I don't like to have my God made fun of. Elijah, you know, these guys are dancing around. They begin to slash themselves. They're, they're trying to get Baal's attention. And here's what Elijah says. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy or traveling. He's, he's, just, he's just facial. That's all that is. You know, he's just putting it in their face saying, your God is not what you thought he was. What, you know, where is he? Is he on a trip? Is he, where is he? Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. He's basically making fun of Baal. And this goes on into the evening, and just before the evening, they're all tired and they're all laid out, and probably half of them are bleeding to death because they've, <laughs> they've been cutting themselves, and it's just, it's just crazy what they've been trying to do to get this, this God that doesn't exist to get his attention. And Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. Now, before I light my altar, I want you to bring water, and I want you to douse the sacrifice, and I want you to douse the altar, and... and I want you to pour water all over it. Now, keep in mind, it hasn't rained in three years. I'm, I'm going to make one point, and it's just a side point. And if you're new to us, I know you're going to think, oh, that's a preacher's plug for money. Uh, it's not. I'm just wanna, I just want to show you something. Money is the most scarce thing for us. It is the most precious thing to us, right? We can never get enough of it. That's why we go to work every day. We work. We, we worry probably over a lot of our money. That's what we worry the most about. It hasn't rained in three years. Water was very scarce. God says, I want you to douse my altar in what is scarce. So can you imagine when, when Elijah says, hey, go get the water and bring it out here and pour it all over this sacrifice. These people are thinking, are, have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? But that's what they did. And there was so much water that the wood was soaked, the animal was soaked. Everything is drenched. And God is about to do something. And he says, I, I did this. I had this water poured on it so that you would know that this isn't some magic trick. This isn't some kind of prophet voodoo thing. This is God is about to do a miraculous thing. God's going to show you himself. He's just going to show up here. And then he prayed, and God lit up that altar. And all the people said, Yahweh is God, and this Baal dude that we've been worshiping, that you prophets have been having us pray to, he ain't nothing. And so they got so mad, they decided they were going to kill the prophets of Baal for having led them astray. And that's exactly what happened. And Ahab, you know, Elijah looks at Ahab and says, you probably ought to go home because it's going to start raining here pretty soon. And Ahab believed Elijah, so he takes off for the city. And in the meantime, Elijah goes up on the hill with his assistant. He asks his assistant, you see anything? Well, there's a few small clouds, but I don't see anything big. Eventually, it begins to rain. And at this point, Elijah is like a rock star. I mean, Elijah, he's got it going on. He's the man. Meanwhile, Ahab goes back home and has a conversation with Jezebel. Guys, do you know what that's like? You know what that's like, don't you? You're out, you're away from your wife, and you have this epiphany of how things need to be. How your house would be so much better with a surround sound television and, right? 
Or you have this epiphany about how wonderful life would be with a motorcycle. Or pick your poison. I mean, whatever it is that guys get in their head that they just believe is the most greatest, wonderful idea in the world. And then we go home and we do what Ahab did. We have a conversation with our wife. And they say, really? Honey, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? You know, you're worse than the kids. I mean, would you grow up? You know, that's kind of what's going on here with Ahab. Because he's going to have a conversation with Jezebel, and he's going to tell Jezebel, you know, Elijah did this thing. And Jezebel, you're going to see, Jezebel is not impressed. There's a reason you don't see many girls named Jezebel. Do you know any girls named Jezebel? There's a reason. Because she wasn't a nice lady. She was kind of mean and wicked. And Ahab is married to Jezebel, and he goes back. And this is where our story picks up. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Get ready. Hope you have a pen in your hand, because there's a couple of things I want you to write down. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time, what is that word? Tomorrow. That's where our worries live, isn't it? Tomorrow. That's where the worries are. See, you're not worried about today. You got today covered. You got here fine. You're sitting here. You're in the air conditioning. It's cool. No problems. Tomorrow is what you're worried about. The uncertainty of tomorrow. How am I going to figure out tomorrow? By this time tomorrow, may it, be, may it be ever so severely, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, Elijah, by this time tomorrow, your life is over. So I'm going to have you killed. Now from our perspective at least from my perspective, if I'm Elijah and I just saw God do what I saw God do and God has come through for me in such a huge, magnificent, glorious, wonderful way, I look at Jezebel and I say, bring it, babe, come on. Let's go to Mount Carmel. Let's do have a prayer service. Have you not heard what my God can do? I'm not afraid of you. Don't threaten me. I just, I mean, the prophets of Baal aren't even here anymore because my God showed up and his God didn't. So, you know, if you want to have some words and you want to threaten me, come on, let's go to, let's go to Mount Carmel. You know, like, was it, the, was it the lion and Wizard of Oz? Put them up, put them up, <laughs> right? Now, Jezebel's powerful, and she's got some troops, and she's got some means, and she's got some stuff. And, and you know, she's not to be taken lightly, no, but... God has done an amazing thing in the life of Elijah. What does he have to worry about? Here's the answer to that, in case you don't know, nothing. There's nothing to worry about. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And we think, Elijah, do you not remember what just happened on Mount Carmel? He was afraid and ran for his life. And here's what's going on. Elijah was okay in the now, but Jezebel comes along and says, come tomorrow I'm going to lay you out. And he ran for his life. Now here's what I would expect for many of us, not all of us, but many of us. If I were to drop into your life and look at God's past faithfulness to you and look at the thing that you are worried about now, I may be tempted to say to you, 
what maybe we would want to say to Elijah. What are you worried about? I mean, if I was to drop down into your world, and I've heard some of the stories that some of you can tell about God's faithfulness in your life. And if I were to drop down into your world and remind you and say, what are you worried about? You've told me about how God's taken care of you. I've heard you tell the story. I've heard you tell the story about how you came to Christ. I heard you tell the story about how you found a great church or how you found Christian friends or or about how God has delivered you or provided for you in some miraculous or outstanding way. What are you worried about? And you would say, well, I'm, I'm worried about tomorrow. You know, tomorrow's the problem. That's what Elijah would say. And I would want to say, don't you remember two weeks ago or three days ago or four months ago when this thing happened in your world? Don't you remember how God was faithful and took care of you? Why can't you just let God take care of tomorrow? And here's Elijah, totally blanked out on what just happened, this miraculous, unbelievable thing in his life, and he's completely lost it because he's all focused on tomorrow. The story goes on. He takes off. 1 Kings 19, the, the, uh, chapter 3, the second part. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, remember that Judah is in the southern kingdom, Israel is in the northern kingdom. Where did he start? Northern kingdom. So he, he's, he's wigged out to the point that he's not only just left the city, he's left the country. Okay? He's gone to a whole other kingdom. He's gone down into the southern kingdom. The text could actually say two weeks later, because you just, I mean, back in these times, you didn't just cover 100 miles in, you know, an hour and a half like we would, or an hour for some of you. But but just, it says, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, which which is really just like a small tree, and it's got some white flowers on it. It would be the kind of tree that you could find some shade under. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Really, Elijah? Come on, buddy. Elijah would say, it's over for me. I have had enough, Lord. I, you know, I'm sick of this. Now, granted, he's, he's been on the run for three years, and, and his life hasn't been great. It hasn't. But God's taken care of him, and God's been faithful, and God's shown up in his life, and he has every reason to believe that God is going to look after him. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors, which is just another way of saying I'm better off dead. Verse 5, then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. In other words, Elijah, you're killing yourself. This worry is killing you. You're not eating. I mean, how many of you have gone through a stretch where you're so upset and you're so worried about what's going to happen next, you sit down to eat a meal and nothing looks good to you, and you're you're losing weight, not in a good way. You're losing weight because you just, you can't eat anything. That's not good for you. Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days, 40 nights, until he reached Horeb, 
the mountain of God. Now that's significant because Mount Horeb is a very, very special place. When Moses encounters God in the burning bush, the bush that was on fire but was not consumed, and he's going to send Moses to take his people out of Egypt, that's the mountain that he was on when all that happened. This is a special place. This is the same mountain when the, Egypt, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they're going through the wilderness, they come upon Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, we would call it. And that's where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. In, in the eyes of the Israelites, if you can't be close to the Ark of the Covenant, you want to be on this mountain. This is an important place to be. So he spent over a month traveling this deserted, brutal, lonely place, this uninhabited place, just to get there to die, but he wants to, he wants to die, but he wants to die close to God. And he thinks if he can get to Mount Horeb, that that's the best place for him. None of this made sense. It, it, you know, none of this is going anywhere. And tomorrow was so uncertain for Elijah, he's like, just get me to Mount Horeb and let me die and let God come get me. Verse 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him and listen to this question this is the question i want you to put on a three by five card when you get home okay i want you to put it up on your mirror i want you to put it in your car i want you to put it somewhere where you see it or maybe in the place that prompts you to worry the most maybe your kid's bedroom door i don't know but i want you to write this question down on a piece of paper for you because here's what god asked elijah what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? In other words, you're not where you're supposed to be. What are you doing here? Elijah, you're miles and miles away from where I had you. You're miles and miles away from where I showed myself to you. You're miles and miles away. Because suddenly tomorrow seemed threatening and you ran away Elijah what are you doing here and this is a great question because some of us we're so stressed out about tomorrow we've done our fair share of running ourselves, haven't we we've gotten so upset about tomorrow that we've gone on the run some of us have run mentally and we've detached ourselves from our families because we've stressed out about tomorrow some of us have run physically We've pulled ourselves away from our families. You, you've run away from a marriage, or you've run away from your parents, or you've run away from a job. Maybe you've emotionally just kind of checked out or backed out, physically backed away from your kids because there was too much stress and it was too hard. Maybe, you know, you, you run away by having just a little bit more wine. You know, I'll just have one more drink, or, I'll, you know, you're drinking way more than you used to or whatever, and, and you're, you're just... You're on the run. And, and God's saying, you know, what are you doing here? You're in a place you've never been before. Emotionally, relationally, physically. And it's all driven by anxiety and stress and fear of tomorrow. And you're in a place you have no business being. God is asking the question, what are you doing here? Why did you run? Why did you let the uncertainty of tomorrow, which, by the way, is always and has always been uncertain. Tomorrow has always been uncertain. Why did you let the threat of tomorrow, which, by the way, 
Tomorrow has always been threatening. You've never known what tomorrow really held. You've allowed that to drive you to places that you have no business being, and you can hear God say, what are you doing here? Verse 10, he replied, and you've got to love this because he does what we do. He starts to rehearse for God as if God doesn't know what he's been through. It happens all through Scripture. Well, God, you know, I had this daughter, I have this son, and this is going on. And we do it too. God, if I could just tell you my story, and if I could just let you know how hard my life's been and what's going on, if you would just listen to me for a minute, and if I could just tell you, verse 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophet to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And you just wonder if God goes, really? I did not know that. Of course he knows. God, I don't know if you're paying attention to anything that's going on around here. God, what do you mean, what am I doing here? What do you expect? I'm scared to death. I'm on the run. I'm the last one. And then God says something to, to Elijah that is very, to us, seems pretty irrelevant. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Because Elijah is in this cave. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, we don't know what went through Elijah's head, but perhaps it was something like this. And what's that going to do, God? What, what exactly, is, what, what good is it going to do that I'm going to go stand in the face of this cave on the side of the mountain and you're going to pass by? That's really going to help me. What's that going to do? So, so God, let me, let me get this square in my mind. Nobody believes that you're here except me. You haven't done anything. Things are bad. My life has been threatened. Jezebel's looking for me. Everybody's looking for me. It's over for me. I'm better off dead. And you want me to go stand in the mouth of a cave? It, it makes no sense. Then we read this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And God's going to kind of put on a show here. He's going to show off a little bit. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here? Elijah, Elijah, if there's no me, I understand why you would run. If there's no me, I understand why you would be upset. I understand why you would fret about tomorrow. I understand how the uncertainty of all this would scare you. If there's no me, I get it. But there is a me. And because there is a me, you shouldn't be here. You forgot to factor me in. You don't realize all the things I've done. You've forgotten all the stuff I've done, the ways I've taken care of you. There is a me, and what in the world are you doing in this place? Verse 14, he replied, we just read it, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. <laughs> Huh? Yeah, 
Yeah, you got to go back. You've run away. You have to start over. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Now that's a problem because Aram already has a king. I want you to find this guy and I want you to anoint him king. And Elijah's thinking, they, they, but, but they already have a king. And God says, uh-huh, yeah, they do. We're going we're gonna to put another one in there. Verse 16, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Okay, time out. God, Israel already has a king too. That's the guy that's trying to kill me. God says, yeah, we're going to replace him. He's not going to be the king much longer. We're going to put a different king in. And this was kind of weird, kind of awkward. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Wait, God, you've got a prophet. That's me. Uh-huh. We're going to replace you. Oh. So you've got a plan. You've been thinking this through. So you haven't just been sitting back with, you know, being taken by surprise by all this stuff. You actually know what's going on and have been thinking about this. Elijah, I'm still God. What are you doing here? Verse 17. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, you think you're the only one left. I got 7,000 people that need a leader. I got 7,000 people that believe in me and need, a fo- and need, to be- need to follow somebody. Now here's the point. If you have allowed your worry to drive you to behaviors and to habits to cause you to do stupid things, to drive a wedge between relationships, to to make stupid financial decisions. I think this is God's question for you this morning. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? If there is a God, what are you doing here? See, if there's no God, I understand why you would worry. If there's no God, I understand why you would make some of the decisions you make and why I would make some of the decisions I make. If there's no God, we should freak out and just be worried like crazy. But there is a God. And you've known your whole life he was there. Some of you have been Christians your whole life. And when someone says, hey, are you worried about that? Yeah, I'm really worried about that. The truth is there really is no excuse for us to be nearly as messed up and to end up in the places that we end up. And God's still in control and God still has a plan and a purpose for our life. And we can face tomorrow with confidence. The whole point is this. We are to do what we know how to do today and let God take care of tomorrow. Do all you can do. And when you've done all you can do, stop worrying. Trust God with your tomorrow. Let's pray together. Father, we so desperately want to live our life in a way that glorifies you and shows the world around us that we have complete and utter faith in your ability to take care of us and yet so many times we look up and we can hear you asking us that question what are you doing here so father in this room this morning as that question has been asked some of us are in places we have no business being 
Help us to answer the question honestly. Help us to look back at you and say, we were afraid, we were scared, we didn't trust you. And when you tell us to go back, help us to have the courage and the faith and help us to be obedient and go back to the place you want us to be. God, if there's no you, then we should be worried. But because we have you, who do we fear? What are we afraid of? I'm a child of God. Who could stand against me? Father, we love you. We confess our sin. We confess our lack of faith. We invite you into our life as you lead us. It's in Christ's name we pray.